You're listening to Rocket with Dr. Tamika on Dash Radio. Hello, you have tuned in to Rocket with Dr. Tamika on Dash Radio, where we discuss insider secrets to health and so much more. Here on Rocket with Dr. Tamika, we take a look at health from a broad perspective and we break it down so that it's relatable, doable, and most definitely fun. And yes, you've guessed it, I am Dr. Tamika. So my rock stars, I hope you are ready. I hope you have your minds open, your ears and gear to learn, and you're ready to take your health to a whole new level. Now, let me tell you this. As we reflect on the month of February, which is known to many as the Heart Health Month, Valentine's Day, the month of love, and last but not least, Black History Month, I think it's only appropriate as we conclude this series on diabetes for now, it's best to bring another dynamic person who is an expert in the medical community. Our next guest on Rocket with Dr. Tamika helped train me and many other people in primary care. He is a board certified pediatrician who is straight out of New York, who has been in California for over 25 years. He has a diplomat, he's a diplomat actually of the medical board examiners. And yes, he's a really intelligent guest. So if you get, didn't know that he is, he's like, oh my gosh, I refer to him as Monfrey. Anyway, he's a loving husband to Mari Cruz and he's an active father to three beautiful children. My rock stars get ready. As we conclude February, our Black History Month, I have brought to you Dr. Mark Murphy. What's up, Mark? Welcome to Rocky with Dr. Tamika. Hello, Dr. Tamika. How are you this evening? I am good, Dr. Murphy. I like I gotta call you Mark, okay? Because I like that's what I know him as. So, but many of you will know him as Dr. Murphy. I just that's Mark. <laughs> so, Mark, I have to say, you know, I have to thank you for uh, giving us your time, your energy, just showing up. And I just need you to just tell the rock stars who are tuned in a little bit about you and what you do. Okay, so uh, I'm a pediatrician. I uh, trained at Children's Hospital here in Los Angeles. I'm originally from the East Coast. So uh, that was my travel assignment to come over here. <laughs> I uh, love working with kids and uh, we're all kids. I deal with kids from zero from the time they're born to basically about 18 years of age. So let me ask you this, Mark, what made you choose pediatrics? Interesting. Uh, it wasn't my first choice. Actually, <laughs> no, I, I don't think I knew that. No. Yeah. When I went, when I applied to medical school and got in, you know, I was going to be the best neurosurgeon ever. So that's why I went to med school thinking of being a neuro neurosurgeon. And so I did my first rotation in surgery and that was done. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, uh, no, this is not for the kid. This exactly. is not for me. I did not know that. Really? Mm -hmm. That's it. So I did okay, go ahead. Sure. I did a rotation in pediatrics and uh, I loved it. And just the diversity of the ages, the diseases that show up in different age groups, what you think about in a two month old than what you think about in a five year old or 15 year old. So I kind of, I like the diversity. That's because you're just real bright. Like, you're like, okay, no matter how you zero months, two months, 18 months, 18 years, you just like, you get it. Um, when I'm thinking about pediatrics, many people don't understand like, or maybe this is a better question. What are some of the most common medical problems that impact the pediatric population that you see? 
uh, are you talking from the family perspective or actually what the children present with? Oh, that's a good one. Let's start with the children present with. The most common things that a lot of the families will bring their kids in for abdominal pain, fever, um, injuries. Uh, oh, there's yeah. also concerns about being overweight. Uh, those are the main things we see a lot of um, and just issues around growth. Too short, too skinny, too big. You know, it's interesting you say that because I know that my rock stars who are tuned in to Rocky with Dr. Tamika, I think of my own family. My husband's always like, what can we do to get the kids bigger? He needs to be a little bit taller. What can, I'm like, oh, so I know you get that then. Yeah. <laughs> do you get that? I do. <laughs> and then I stare at them and go, how tall are you? How tall is your wife or husband? Okay, your child's going to be the same height. Uh, they're like, please don't say that to Carl. He's <laughs> <laughs> like, no, they got it. They have to be taller than you. Um, so when you think about from the kid's perspective, the obesity, the growth, the injuries, I mean, there's tons of injuries um, and fevers and abdominal pain. Like, what do you think some of the root causes of many of these issues are? It depends on the demographic. Oh, okay. The age group. Um, if we're going to deal with the older kids, it would be specific. If we're going to talk about um, abdominal pain or we're going to talk about um, being overweight, then a lot of it has to do with the activities that the kids are involved in or the lack of activities right. that pretty much have been prevalent you know, throughout our system from schools where high school, basically, there's unless you are on a sport, you have basically no PE whatsoever. If you get it, it's once a week and it's an hour once a week. So it's upon the families to decide how they're going to give their child some, or give them access to certain activities. You know, it's interesting you saying that because one of the things I had written out as a question I was going to ask you dealt with like, there is truly a lack of exercise noted across all ages, right? There's right. a lack of exercise. Um, we're looking at a growth, an exponential growth in the use of video games. We're talking about also being on social media, Instagram, TikTok, YouTube, and they're just, they're just there. They're stagnant. Like, I think sometimes I wonder, like, if I don't stop my kids from playing a video game, they will not eat. So, <laughs> so I'm like, and I read this post. Oh my gosh, this is so appropriate. I read this post today that someone sent me, one of my good friends, and it was like, I'm that kind of mom that says, if you're in the video game, hurry up and die because dinner's on the table. <laughs> That's, right. That's, right. That's good, right? That's like, I need you to hurry up and die in that video game because dinner's on the table. But I'm like, how do you see that this is impacting their health as they sit there um, not being as mobile as years before? Well, this generation, and probably it's been about two generations at this point, mm -hmm. um, they're a lot more sedentary right? because they have a lot more access to video games and YouTube and other things basically, which is entertainment without actually you participating. True. <laughs> you know, so it's hard. It's hard for them. Um, and typically when kids are engaged in these activities, they also eat, they snack, Right, so it's the elbow bends and they open their mouth. So it's got like a reflex. 
<laughs> it's like exactly <laughs> yeah. and so that's where a lot of kids put on a lot of the extra calories that they do not need but they're also not burning at all during the daytime so it's very easy and it's very insidious for the weight gain not only for kids but for adults also true particularly in kids and so um yeah so this, that dynamic of burning calories and putting on calories and uh and a lot of kids uh, eat a lot of fast foods you know, a lot of snacks and a lot of sugary snacks. So that it's interesting you say that because I was thinking like, what did you, what do you think the impact has been with the food industry? Because the sugary drinks are real. The, and I think from when I don't watch a lot of TV, but from my friends who do watch television a lot more than I do, and they're talking about the commercials and how they're geared toward kids and like, come try this new fast food or this new uh, snack or whatever. And it's not the best snack as far as the food groups are concerned. Right. Have you noticed that, like, how is that impacting children as it relates to diseases? Like, are you seeing, I know that there's an in, increase in the amount of obesity and an increase in the amount of diabetes. Are you seeing that yourself? Yes. So over the last 10, 20 years, there's been exponential increase in obesity and correlating with that has also been type two diabetes. Okay. Has also so so this is one of those things is interesting because I'm thinking about my own practice. I don't have a large pediatric practice where I, where my practice is, but I'm thinking of the obesity and the diabetes, right? And we're thinking about obesity and when it's, and that's specifically for kids, you can't just treat the kid, right? Because the kid's not buying the food, Correct. the kid's not cooking the food. So how do you, like, what are some of the things that you say that, because you have to involve um, the whole entire family for it to work because you can't have... I'll pick on my kids' names. I can't have Miles and Dawson eating this, and then I'm eating something totally different. It just doesn't work. Well, you kid, you hit on the foundation on how you can enhance or trigger behavioral change. Right. You can't be with the kid because you can't feel like you can't make it an issue where the kid is the problem, or the kid is being isolated or picked on because of his or her weight or the eating habits. Right. So I have to gear it towards the family. So even if the mom and dad don't seem to have an issue with their habits, they have to incorporate it with the kid. And they just can't say, well, you, Johnny, you can't eat this while the rest of the family are eating cheeseburgers and right. French fries and everything else. So I try to gear it so that the family, the main either uh, chefs in the house or mm -hmm. the persons who are buying the groceries, that they basically do the same thing that they want their child to do. If they want the child to eat healthy, and I try to encourage the parents to do the same thing, okay? If they, they want the child to be more active and go for a walk, if the parent is physically capable or another person can, I encourage them to do the same thing. If the parent says, I can go for a walk, you can go for a walk. Right. Then that's a little bit different as opposed to do what I say, not what I do. Oh, and I see more and more of like, you know what, I want him to do this. I'm like, but how are you asking your child to do this and you're eating this over here? Right. Or you're saying, you know, I don't want you on your phone or on your computer or on your iPad all this time. And they see you with your cell phone nonstop. Like they, they're sponges. Right. <laughs> you're, right. you're right. They don't want the kid on the iPhone in the, in the examination room. But the parent was looking at the iPhone the whole time I'm sitting there talking to the kid and talking to the parent. Right. Yeah. So the kids, <laughs> they, they see it and they, they, it registers with them. Yes. And it just stays there and they do the same thing. As you're doing, so I try, it's one of the things I just recently had a, um, a client come in 
and I was working with her and um, she wanted me to see her daughter. And I said, I'll see your daughter. Because her concern was her daughter was not active anymore in school, right? She's like, you know, they don't have PE. They have this virtual learning. We have this schedule. We have that schedule. So I'm really concerned about my daughter putting on weight. So I got her a trainer. And then, so I want you to see, she wanted us to see her for nutrition. And what I was very clear about was I'm not going to create some um, self-image problem for your daughter right now. What we're going to do is say, these are some healthy options for you to choose what's going to work for you. But I don't want to create, there's already enough peer pressure from social media, from not being in school. There's a lot of uh, mental health issues already. Let's try to promote like positive things. So what can we do? Let's show them. These are some choices. Like my kids will tell you, um, I'm like, well, you're still hungry because, oh yeah, I don't have any protein. Like, yeah, you can't just eat all these carbs <laughs> and just run through. So like promoting, like how do you help your parents promote like a positive self-image? Like, I don't want you to be like, we can only do this or we can only eat this or you got to stand this box. Like, how do you help them see like understanding? Because parents are confused as to what should they eat? What can't they eat? Do you, do you take care of that or do you help them refer them to a nutritionist or how does that work? Sometimes I refer to a nutritionist if I think there's a true deficit mm -hmm. and a true uh, learning gap that uh -huh. needs to be filled. Um, but when it comes to body image, I never really, I never tell a kid or a kid's family or parents that a child's fat. I never use that word. I very rarely even use the word obese okay. because some people can be very, defensive when you mention that and they have a certain preconceived notion of what obese is right so what i try to tell them is that i'm not really concerned about the size of your child i'm more concerned with how they eat and healthy lifestyle so if we can just make some changes in what you put into your body and how you put it i'm okay with that they don't need to lose weight in the next two months three months whatever once we make these changes and gradual changes, then we'll reach our goal. But I never tell them that there's a certain weight that the child should be because a lot of parents want to ask, I have a 10 year old who weighs this much, how much should she weigh? True, all the time. Is he too, is he overweight? Is he underweight? Is he too tall? Is he too short? All the time, right. all the time. So I think that's important for parents to hear. My rock stars who are listening, we need to stray, stay, I guess, stray away from fat and obese and go more towards, let's be healthy. How can I help you make healthier changes? Like little, I always talk about um, small wins, right? Let's let's get a small win and keep focusing on that. And if you get a bump in the road, then you hit a bump in the road. Then we just go back to what's a small win? What did I do correctly? But it's, it's challenging enough for our youth. And I think about the amount of, um, when we think about kids being, um, I'm going to use the word obese people, but I'm going to use it when we're talking about children being obese or overweight, right. it, it's growing. It, it's not, it has not, it has not cut back. And I mean, it keeps growing and growing. So what do we need to like, how can we help? Granted, you're, you know, I'm always pro you as a pediatrician, <laughs> like you have, but you're coming from a, a background of loving sports and you understand like kids are very vulnerable. And how do you say stuff to encourage them? Every person I've met that's had you as a pediatrician is like, I love Dr. Murphy. Like, I love him. So how do we get more of you coming out into society and helping people understand what they should be saying? Well, I think you have to look at the, the dynamics. You have to realize that the child is coming from a certain situation and he has a certain foundation. 
Right. And that child is not going to be successful unless you engage that foundation, which can, which is his family. Right. You know, and the family usually comes from a particular culture, whatever that culture is. So you have to kind of understand. And if you don't understand the culture, you just have to kind of at least ask questions. True. See what kind of things do they like to do? Do they not like to do? What are they really concerned about? Okay. So sometimes when a parent comes in and says, I think he's overweight, I think he's too big or she's too big, their main concern may be, you know, I have a grandmother who is overweight and she has diabetes and the aunt died. So they're really concerned about diabetes. They're not really that concerned that, okay, my child is a little bit heavier than right. the neighbor. So once you get to that point, then you can work backwards and say, you know, we can see whether she has diabetes, but if you are concerned about the risk, these are the things that you may have to change as a family so that your child does not become the great grandmother and you decrease that risk. True. So I think in, in, when, when children in particular, like they're intelligent. So if you say, my concern is I want you to be healthy because in our family, we've had a history of diabetes. We've had a history of high blood pressure. We've had a history of these things that aren't good for you overall. So these are why I want to help us to make changes as a family. Right. And I think you're right. I think what happens is a lot of times uh, parents don't, we don't, some providers don't ask the deep question, like, what are you really, it's not really just the weight right. because the weight will come and go. Like you get the weight off, great. Then it gets back, then it comes up. But at the end of the day, what are you really concerned about, right? So you're concerned about the diabetes, the risk of having an amputation, the risk of having a heart attack because dad had this or, or your grandmother, somebody died of cancer. It's like all these other things that's in the background that's kind of in a compartment that people don't really talk about. And so now you're pulling that out. So I think those of you who are concerned, who are listening to this and hearing Dr. Murphy, it's important that you understand that what really is behind all, like what are you really concerned about? Is it the weight or is it the ramifications that are a result of the weight, right? Right. Because once you have to remember, unlike adults who basically stop their linear growth, they're not going to get any taller, right? They may get wider, but they don't get taller. Kids are different. If you're talking about a 10-year-old, a 12-year-old, 14-year-old, they're still growing. So you just can't decide that this 10-year-old needs to lose 30 pounds because you can compromise the child's potential and to reach their true height, to compromise their ability to put on um, the adequate amount of muscle and bone and affect their, their overall growth. So you just can't say lose weight. So that's why a healthy lifestyle or at least trying to get to, the, to that point is probably the foundation as opposed to just making a kid who still has a lot of growth ahead of them to just lose weight. Well, it's interesting you bring up that point because I don't think a lot of times parents or even the caregiver, whoever is the responsible party, stops and think about like, okay, what, a, like the, this child still is growing. They're just caught up in that one particular point in time and they're stuck right there, right? They're like, okay, no, but Johnny's too big. Okay, but Johnny is nine. <laughs> so I don't think Johnny's gonna stop at this height right here. Unless there's some kind of endocrine and you know some other underlying endocrine disorder that you would pick up, so then you would. Well, I don't know about that. Yeah, <laughs> Look, okay, Mister, want to be a neurosurgeon? But <laughs> I was like, I did not know that. Sorry, rock stars, I did not know that. That's like I know him well. I did not know that. Um, but like when you really get to get down to the nitty gritty of it, it's important that people um, think past the right now. 
and think about, okay, this, this is not a permanent stepping stone. This is not some 55 year old person who's, this is the only height they're going to be. Like you said, they can't, at 55, you're not getting older, as, not, getting, not getting taller. You may get wider, but you're not getting like, unless you put on some heels. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will have to leave that one to you. Look, okay, yeah, I'll put on some heels. I'm a strong 5'3". Without the heels, <laughs> but you know, it's like I'm thinking of like you mentioned something earlier, or you asked like when you think about the there's one dynamic to deal with the child, but then you have the dynamic of the parent themselves, right? And when I think about uh, obesity, I also think about diabetes, as we've mentioned. So when you have a child, like recently, I've had two people, one within my community and one within my family who were recently diagnosed with type one diabetes. And the parents were just freaking out. Like when I say freaking out, like it was like, my child can't play sports anymore. My child can't do, I'm like, okay. There's so much fear behind the diagnosis of type one diabetes. And I'm wondering like how, like what kind of words of encouragement can you give the parent who's recently had their child diagnosed with type one diabetes? Well. Um, it's a great question, but I also understand why they're freaking out because, okay. you know, because probably a lot of this comes from how the child presented, mm -hmm. right? When the child right. presented, they were probably very sick. There've mm -hmm. been a lot of changes in the last few months. And if they present in acidosis, they probably were hospitalized for a while. So at that so let's point- Let's break it down, Mark. What are some of the symptoms of someone, uh, how children do present with type one diabetes when they're first diagnosed? Um, one of the classic pre presentations is called um, diabetic ketoacidosis, a DKA. So basically what may happen is that the child may have a long period, a few weeks or even a few months of a lot of urination, a lot of excessive drinking and weight loss that has nothing to do with exercise or a restriction in their um, diet or eating. And they also may present with abdominal pain. Okay? okay. And so with those kind of characteristics, the parents may bring them in saying, you know, Johnny's been drinking a lot. He's been having accidents in the bed. Uh, he's been eating all the time, but his clothes don't fit anymore. Gotcha. You know, his, his pants are loose and he's just tired. He's been tired lately. He's been sleepy. And with that, they may do a bunch of labs and then you may end up with a sugar that is extremely high and they basically may diagnose that this particular child is probably diabetic and probably type one because of the presentation. Okay. So then when they present this way, now they have this, they're in the hospital and then they're eventually discharged. Right. And now mom and dad or caregiver, whoever's responsible party is like, oh my goodness. Right. How do I, like, is there any hope for my child? Like I had one person ask, does this mean that my child can't get won't be able to have children in the future. They won't be able to get, I mean, they went really down this like this dismal path of like, this is my child's not gonna have a regular life. And right. I had to reel them back in. Because before they went to the hospital, the child was probably on no medication or very few and just taking medicines by mouth. Now, when they leave the hospital, they have this whole regimen where they have to take insulin, mm -hmm. right? They have a nutritionist, they may even have a health educator. And so it's an adjustment. Right. And once they make that adjustment and they do it well, then they get into a routine. And then they realize that my child can do pretty much everything that everybody else can do. Right. They've been Olympic athletes. There are a lot of professional athletes who have been diabetic. 
and they've done well, but you would never know it because it's well controlled and they basically have a routine that they have followed that has allowed them to succeed, you know, whether it's athletically or intellectually. So it's good to use, and I think, and that's what I mean by success stories, because I think what happens is when it's your own, when it cut, when it gets close to home, right. all things, it's not clear anymore, right? It's like, okay, this is my child we're talking about now. And this, and this is not like the friend of a friend or the, the neighbor who's far away, we don't really see, but this is my child. So how do we go deeper into this? And I don't know what to do. So to hear the success stories of other professional people who've succeeded, uh, other athletes who are having the same conditions doing well, this is my hope for my rock star. Like, listen, they do well. You just gotta get the routine down. We all need routines. We all need a routine. If you don't have a routine right now, I'm telling you, you need a routine. Are you waking up? Are you drinking your water? Are you getting your exercise? Are you saying something positive? What's your routine? Just like you have that routine, children with type one diabetes have a routine, and and when they get it, they get it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they do. And when you have a routine that's that is successful, that actually helps you mentally also and emotionally. True. When it doesn't work, then you feel you may get depressed. You may think that this is the end of the road. That is nothing's going to work. But once you find a routine that works, then your self confidence comes back. Uh, with in yourself and also within your family members and they realize hey this can be done you know life is not over and hey if we can keep this up and stay on top of it then we're going to be good and all those dreams you had before the diagnosis will probably continue and you can look forward to trying to attain them when i and then one of the things that i think that right now as i think about the pandemic and everything, when you were having these different, what we miss right now is that um, community of hearing other people with similar stories where you can sit and, and say, hey, this is, you're not alone. Like you're not the first, you won't be the last. And yet we're successful. These are some of the uh, bumps in the road that we've, we've faced, but yet we've been able to get past it. And so I think that's one of the things, if I could do anything, like if I could put all the different patients that I have and put them on a Zoom call, if it was HIPAA compliant, <laughs> like, look, look, these are other successful people. You were here once, okay, you're past that, or you're just now starting, because they can see that. And that gives hope not only to the kids, but also to the parents, because they're the one who's like, who's up late, the child is in a deep sleep, and the child and the parents at home, like, oh my, okay, let me check the sugar. Let me do like they. There's so many things going on right there. Um, I have to tell you, we're going to do some questions soon, so get ready. I don't know what they're going to be, Mark, but that's like I told you, you, you you're good. <laughs> because I just owe you money. That's all. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. Um, one of the things that I was thinking about is before we go into questions, is there like we have the type one diabetic, but there's also an, a surge, at least from what I've seen. Um, of type two diabetes in children? There has been, um, and that is uh, a problem. And it's something that has coincided with the increase in obesity. Okay. okay. And so you will get some kids that are diagnosed with type two, but more likely you're a lot of times you're gonna get kids who are diagnosed with pre-diabetes right. or those who are at risk for diabetes. And that's a greater number. And so the kids with type two, obviously you need to treat and the treatment is, is pretty intensive. It's, it's diet, you can use medication, but the pre-diabetic ones, which are a greater number and greater proportion, those we can also have an impact on because that can probably be reversed where you can either delay the onset of type two or you can prevent it completely. 
So it's interesting you say that because I say this, I do a talk on reversing diabetes naturally. And I talk about how there are more pre-diabetics than there are actual diabetics. And people are always like, what do you mean? I'm like, there's many people who are walking around right now who are pre-diabetic and don't even know it, have no clue. And I think part of the issue, and I'm going to speak specifically for the adult population is they don't feel anything. There's no pain. There's no urination. There's no frequent, like they're very thirsty. There's nothing. They just feel the same. And that's the reason why with adults, I believe it's like the silent killer because they just, it's just walking around like everything's fine, eating the same way, doing the same minimal to no activity. Would you say that's the same case with the pre-diabetic in children? Yes, most pre-diabetic kids don't have any symptoms whatsoever, okay? They may have a certain profile, right? Mm -hmm. And certain risk factors, uh, particularly if it runs in their family, if they have first degree family members or second degree relatives that uh, have diabetes or history of it, if they're overweight and certain um, ethnic groups and racial groups have a higher incidence of it. Uh, but most of the, almost all the kids who are pre-diabetic have no symptoms whatsoever. None. I'm like, it's like, it's so quiet. I, I, I tell people all the time, just talk to your doctor, tell them your family history so that they can check into it. And most pediatricians, I believe, look for things when they have a family history. So I'm not a pediatrician, but I know you. <laughs> yeah, and the only way you're going to find it is if you screen for it. I mean, right. that's the honest truth. If you don't screen for it, you won't know it until a child has symptoms or somebody else screens for it. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Can you explain, and I don't want to, I know what it is, but I want to make sure our listeners know, what's a first degree relative? Oh, that would be immediate family member. Okay. So that's like, go ahead. I think um, like mom, dad, yes, brother, ahead. sister, right? So right. And then Begin. can you explain to them what a second degree relative, uh, relative is? Second degree would be uh, grandmother, grandfather, cousin, uncle, aunt, those kind of things. So I was imp it's important that you, so if you have a family member, my rock star, whether that is someone that's in the house with you, who's mom, dad, sister, brother, first degree, second degree, grandma may live with you, auntie may live with you, cousin may live with you. Those are your second degree relatives. So we have um, some questions coming in and you know, since we have questions coming in, you know, my dog Risen's in the party. She just barked a little bit to say, hey, ask the questions, Dr. Tamika, go with it. And I'm like, okay, I'm asking the question, calm down. All right, so we have Joseph from Los Alamitos. My 10 year old son has consistently approached me about playing full contact football. Playing college ball myself, I'm concerned about a CTE. What are your thoughts on this? It's a great question. Um, full contact football has been, especially with youth and for young kids, you know, under 15, 16 is a big deal. Right. And so I myself and a lot of pediatricians have seen a lot of concussions, not, not this year because of the pandemic, but the year before. And so concussions are a big deal. And no matter what they tell you, okay, about the design of the helmets and all that kind of stuff, your brain was not made to be slammed against the inside of your skull. And also he's 10. Obviously the body weights for those kids are not extremely high. So the force may not be there, but head injury is real. And it doesn't take a lot to uh, cause a head injury. You know, and the other parts of the body that can get hurt too, your neck, right? Everyone oh. thinks about your head, but you know, you can also get a neck injury too. 
Um, so CTE, not as big a deal for young kids, but concussions are real, especially if the head is part of the object of, a, is a target. True. And in football, <laughs> the head is a target. And it's interesting, Joseph, I'm going to speak to this a little bit. I have, my oldest son is 13 and he plays ice hockey. So when I think, I didn't want him to play football, but he plays ice hockey. So I'm like, that makes no sense. It's a long story. We'll have to have a show about it, but definitely. And he's had a concussion and I can tell you, um, it's scary as a parent to have your child have a concussion because when they really have the aftermath of the TV bothers them, the light bothers them. They, they have to have no, like, like they can't strain or look at books. They can't do anything until they are symptomat asymptomatic. And I'm like, that was scary. And, he, and yes, he still plays to this day. And I am on pins and needles every time he's on the ice. So anything that remotely looks like the first thing I'm like, is your head okay? And I'm looking at everything. So it's, um, it's scary and it's real. And that's to say we're in a pandemic and we just came back from an ice hockey tournament. I'm like, ooh, that's a good one. All right, so we have next, we have Jeannie from Long Beach. What do I do if my child is behind on vaccines due to COVID? Oh, that's a great question. So you should call your doctor and you should get the vaccines done because right now, most hospitals, offices, doctor's offices, they are making arrangements so that the people who actually show up there are not infected. They're screened. So being in a doctor's office is safe. And right. if your child is behind on vaccines, they should get those vaccines to help promote their health and to prevent them from getting some preventable diseases. So especially if your child is younger, they should get their vaccines if they're four or under. So this is an interesting subject because a lot of people, and I don't know if you've seen this as well, like they're afraid to go to the doctor. Right. Like I've had more people, well, I'm not going to get my blood work drawn because I'm scared of COVID or I'm not going in because of COVID. And the numbers have dropped off immensely. Have you seen that as well because of the pandemic? Yes, especially at the end of the year of last year. Mm -hmm. um, this year is starting to pick up a little bit because I think the parents are kind of, some of the parents are anxious, just like they call the uh, person who had the last question. Now they're starting to think about their children and getting their vaccines. And this is a great time to do it. And I would do it now before the rush in two <laughs> or three months when everybody is going to come in to try to get their physicals done and everything. So this is a good time to do it. Everyone's wearing masks in the hospital office. Everyone is social distancing. They're screening. Everyone goes in. So you will be safe taking your child in to get their vaccines and their annual checkup, which is important. And I think it's important too that we say that, I'm glad that you uh, brought up the point that doctor's offices are trying to be really safe. I think that there's a misconception that they're not as safe in the doctor's office. So they're like, no, are they wearing their mask? Are they doing the, pro the appropriate protocol and so forth? Because I, I remember when I took our kids to get their physicals last year, I think it was like May or so. It was, it was crazy because they were like, are you sick or not? I'm like, no, we're in the non-sick rooms, but they were very, uh, they were spaced out. There was hardly anyone in between us that we were just far apart. So I felt very confident in taking my kids in. And I was the one that was like, wait a minute, let me look. So I went and checked out everything before, <laughs> like, let me come in here and bring you inside of here. Right, and when you call in, a lot of times they give you a slew of questions. Have you been sick? Have you been around anyone who's been sick? Have you tested? And then they screen you with the thermometer before you even go in a building. 
So pretty much anyone who's entering the building for a physical, especially with kids, they're pretty much healthy. They keep the sick people in one area and all the people coming in for regular physicals are in a totally different area and they've been screened for the most part. True. All right, so now we have Tyler from Los Gatos. Oh, that's up north. Hey, Tyler. I'm a new father and have been allergic to peanuts since I can remember. How do I know if my daughter has the same allergies without putting her at risk? It's a good question. Um, you actually don't know at this particular time. So I'll be honest with you. So depending on how old your child is, if it's a newborn, um, that's something you don't really need to test until at least you know, six to nine months of age. Okay. And then if, if it's just you that has had this allergy, then you can actually give peanuts to your child and just, and see. Okay. It's not a real risk to give it to the child if it's just a other family member. So it's usually very individualized. Which is interesting because um, when I think about, when I say I gotta go back, I'm, I'm telling you these questions are coming in and I'm thinking of my kids. My oldest son, again, has never, like, never had any antibiotics, never had anything. And we went to a Thai restaurant maybe a year and a half ago and I love Thai food. And, we, and he's not the child to try anything new. That's not that child. He's like, I don't know what it is. This particular day he opened up and was like, I'll try the peanut sauce. Oh my gosh, Mark, I can't even tell you. Try the peanut sauce. Within 15 minutes, he's scratching his throat. His eyes are itching and I'm like, what? And I immediately, I grab my child. I run out of the restaurant. We run to the market, get some Benadryl. I'm like, he can't do peanuts, but he had never had a peanut before and I don't have a peanut allergy and neither does his father but definitely allergies and asthma run inside my family so to Tyler you just don't know right and you, I mean, no one in our just like you no one in our family has a peanut allergy till my daughter showed up <laughs> she's the only one that has an allergy to any food really yeah and it took us like six months to figure it out <laughs> it's true yeah and yeah and just a note, she can eat Reese's peanut butter cups with no problem. So I guess to tell you what's in Reese's, there's not peanut butter. It's not peanut butter. <laughs> it's interesting you say that because um, one of the things now that we're talking about allergies a little bit, one of the things that goes with, um, I think about peanut allergies is I've seen in my own family, eczema, right? So my oldest son, again, is very sensitive. Like him and gluten do not see eye to eye. Not that he has celiac or any type of gluten allergy, but he definitely has a gluten sensitivity. The minute I take him off of bread and soy sauce, his eczema clears up like immediately. Like that is just not his friend. So there may be some other things that may come to light, Tyler, that you just gotta pay attention to your child because you'll look and they'll be scratching, they'll be itching. And it's like, what is this? And as a parent, like you said, Mark, it may take six months. It took me a while to figure out like, what is going on with this child? Like, what is it? I didn't even think food. So one couple of things. Um, I was just kidding about the Reese's Pieces, okay? <laughs> if, if you have a peanut allergy, do not go eat Reese's Pieces, okay? No, no. no do not do that. It says peanuts in it, do not do it. Um, concerning Tyler, um, if you are concerned and you're really concerned that she might have a peanut allergy or you're not sure, you can always, whenever you have, whenever she's around six or nine months and you wanna introduce peanuts, you can always take it to the doctor's office and that's the first time you can introduce it there while you're in the doctor's office and sit there for 20 minutes, a half hour and see if anything happens. If nothing does, then you're good. If you really, really wanna have a backup plan when you introduce peanuts, you can do it that way. 
Well, that's actually safe because you know, if anything's happened, the safest place to be, one of the safest places to be is in the doctor's office, right? So you can actually see like, oh, okay, this works. Oh, right. this is a pro exactly. this is like, you, you definitely have an EpiPen, right? We yeah, don't have exactly, so all the things of this, so if you're really, really, really concerned, you can schedule an appointment with your doctor and say, hey, this is the first time we're gonna give her peanuts. I just want you as backup. Yeah, it's like, I need you, like, I'm good, but you may be a little bit better at this as the doctor. I mean, you were trained in everything, but she's my child, right? So I'm looking at that. Um, other thing that I want to ask you about is when I think about, um, I'm going to put you on the spot because I didn't realize you did the urgent care too, until earlier. Um, when we're thinking of COVID in, the ki in kids, I'm hearing more and more of kids who um, are having this COVID skin reaction. Have you seen this? Uh, are you talking about the generalized rash or the yeah. one with the toes? Oh, see, I didn't even know that. Like, see, this that that expertise. Tell me, there's two then. There's this kind of um, the rash. It depends on the concept, on the on the um, context. If you have an acute infection with COVID, you can get some rashes along with fevers and cold symptoms and stomach issues, diarrhea, vomiting, and what they call COVID toes where basically you get kind of little blisters, um, the kind of red, painful, it's called chiblins. So it's related to kind of a little vasculitis that they get in the toes. And that's, and it initially showed up in, in Europe. And uh, that was pretty much one of the first things they saw when they noticed it in kids. It's not very common, but it can be associated with COVID initially. But a lot of times you can get chiblins that has nothing to do with COVID. Uh, no, Okay. COVID toes. See, that's like, I just like my rock star. I, I had never heard like, I need to, I need to, uh, what do you say? I need to step up my COVID game. I did not even hear <laughs> COVID toes. I'm like, what? Okay. Um, and then another thing that I'm thinking that comes up, I get asked a lot as it relates to COVID in kids is, um, have you seen the numbers increase? Is it about the same or is it less from what you've seen in the urgent care or in your practice? During the month of December and January, during this last surge, at least prior to it, we had a lot of kids who had COVID. And that's because a lot of the family members had COVID. Right. The mom, the dad, because they were exposed. And then they exposed the kids. Uh, the kids were usually, a lot of them were asymptomatic. And if they, I mean, they did not have any symptoms, or they had mild symptoms, a cold, a fever for one to two days, some body aches for one to two days, and then they recovered completely most of the time. So rarely do kids get hospitalized with COVID. Okay, so that's really good for my rock stars to hear because one of the things that's happening now is like, are the kids getting ready to go back to school? Or are they not getting ready to go back to school? And then if they are, the teachers are concerned about um, getting COVID from the kids or vice versa. So I'm, I'm curious as to see that as the time goes by, uh, will the numbers start to decline as it relates to kids? Will they go back? I would love for my child to go back to school, but if anything else, I want them to be safe more than anything, just not only my children, but the other children in the classroom, as well as the teachers. So I'm wondering, um, is there any type of like, what do you recommend to parents? And I, I know what I say, but what do you say as it relates to like, these are some of the things you can do to keep you and your family safe from COVID? Well, I think some of the basic things are, um, you know, know the group that you're with, right? Know what they're doing. Are they practicing uh, 
safe distancing when they can? Are they wearing a mask? Are they washing their hands? Or are they actually going out and participating in events with people who they don't know, you know, not wearing masks and putting themselves at risk for possibly getting COVID, okay? Um, and those are the main things that you can do for that. Kids get it from the community, okay? Kids usually, it's usually passed from the kids to the kid, from the, excuse me, adults, to the kids. The kids really spread it to other kids, right? right? Or the kids really spread it to adults at this particular, as far as we know. True. And hopefully the most vulnerable of us are getting the vaccine. So when the kids do go to school, the people who are most vulnerable to getting really sick or passing away or having a really bad outcome, they're already protected. Okay. So nobody wants a kid to get sick. I understand that. Um, and so there are things that we can do to help prevent that. And I think it's important that like, I, I know people have heard this, but a lot of times you need to say things over and over and over again for it to like register. And it's unfortunate that there has been such a like, at first it was the most vulnerable people who were uh, unfortunately dying from COVID. Now it's people who don't necessarily have some underlying conditions who've gotten really, really sick. Mm -hmm. So then you have, the, you know, the variant strain, you have all these different things happening. I'm like, okay, get back to the basics. What are the basic things we need to do as a community to stay healthy? Because if we don't, then it starts to spread and we get more and more and more and we need to get control. And what you're saying is, I love the fact that you said, be aware of who is around you. Who are you interacting with? Because you know what you're doing, right. but you don't necessarily know what they are doing, correct? Correct. And that makes a difference. Makes a huge difference. Um, the other thing that I thought about that I wanted to ask you about is, and I didn't ask you earlier, but I wanted to ask about like elevated cholesterol in kids or hypertension in kids. Do you see a lot of that? You'll see a lot of hypertension, okay. in kids, which is fortunate, which is good. Um, at least we didn't. We're seeing a little bit more now with the rise in obesity, okay? And also the rise in type two diabetes. So, uh, and one of the complications of type two diabetes can be hypertension. So we are seeing some of that. And the other question besides hypertension, cholesterol. Um, yeah, we do see elevated cholesterol. And some of it has to do with diet. Uh, a lot of times it has to do with familial, where you'll find both parents or one parent or um, a lot or persons on one side of the family, mother, father, they all had high cholesterol. Right. And so then, so we do see it. So, and what do you do, like, what's, is it, I'm thinking of adults, with adults, you see cholesterol, um, we start with the lifestyle changes and seeing, can we get a hold of it and get control of it um, that way before we try to go down the medication route. When you see it at a younger age, is that still the same pattern of treatment or would you, does, is it the pattern to go straight into medication? No, the pattern is also diet. You know, the diet is, is, that's the mainstay for trying to treat elevated cholesterol or triglycerides in kids. Okay, and you would try that and you usually give it at least three, six months. And if that doesn't work, depending on how old the child is, then you may move to medication if it's necessary. Very hard to do when they're under 10 years of age. And also a lot of medications aren't really palatable. So that's also a, a problem. It doesn't taste very good. No, none of that medication. I remember that all the pink amoxicillin, like this stuff is horrible. I don't care what they say, that amoxicillin and everything else. For antibiotics is bad. Then you tell me the cholesterol medication. They want to give you a liquid. See, I'm about to go into like a little soapbox. This stuff tastes horrible. Still, it smells bad. 
Oh my gosh. Okay, I gotta, I gotta focus here. Um, so as a pediatrician as a whole, I wanna ask you this and I don't think I have, how has COVID impacted you and your practice? It's changed it a great deal and not necessarily in good ways. Um, for one, as pediatricians, as doctors yourself, we're used to seeing people in the office and your whole basis for diagnosing somebody is seeing them, taking a history and putting hands on. Mm. That helps. With COVID, a lot of times you may not see the patient. You're getting a phone call, you're doing a video. So unless you have a lot of experience, you really aren't sure exactly what's going on. And so I think that for some people that can be a little leery, like my stomach hurts. You know? And so at some point you're like, well, the doctor didn't, he diagnosed me or she diagnosed me, but they never touched my stomach. They never had a chance to examine me. And so I think that's different. And I think for a lot of us, we don't really like that. That's a little scary to kind of talk to people and over from without actually seeing them or actually being able to listen to a child's lungs looked in their ears, that kind of stuff to kind of do a complete picture to figure out what's going on. That has to be challenging because I'm thinking of, okay, granted, let's do the bread and butter. If someone has a, an, uh, an ear infection, okay, you can give them an antibiotic. Right. That's okay. If the antibiotic, whether or not it's bacterial or not, or if it's just some pain, worst case scenario, granted, I have my own theory about antibiotics, but it's okay at the end of the day. Right, but you're talking about abdominal pain. There is you need an exam, and you right. really, <laughs> you and really. So, and so you get those kids to come in, right? <laughs> because you don't want to miss anything, and so and so now it's extra work. Not only do you have to talk to them on the phone, but mm -hmm. now you have to get them to come back in, you know, to examine them, and do that. So I think it's a little bit different. There's a lot more. I've done a lot more sitting down in the last year than I want to. Oh, not Mr. Eat, no fat, low fat, work out all the time. Not you. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, more telephone appointments with patients, which has been a change as opposed to they come in and I talk to them, they talk to me and we figure out what's going on. So that's interesting because many times that, um, granted it creates another way. It, like, I don't think telemedicine is going anywhere. Like, I, I think it's here to stay. Like there's no, we're not going back fully. Right. So knowing that it's definitely transforming medicine in the sense of there were many people prior to the pandemic who would really never consider a virtual visit. Now they a lot of times have no option Correct. but to get the virtual visit. So when you have that and then you have to have you only have so much time you can't see the facial expression if you're on the phone. Right. You can't really see what else is going on where as a physician we're, we're taught to read the room, read them and see what else is going on. So you're, you're kind of limited at times. Right, you are. And if you feel like that limitation is hindering your ability to do the best job that you can, then you might have to go in a different direction and make it a video visit where you can actually see it or do it in person or have them seen by somebody if it's not you, just to make sure that there's something that I'm hearing but I'm not sure about, and I want to make sure that I don't miss anything. And that's the other alternative. Okay. And then what about like, since you do work at times in the urgent care, have you noticed that those numbers have dropped off? Cause I've had more people say I'm sick, but I'm not going in. Yes. It has dropped off. They've like, they like, I'm like blown away. I'm like, you're, 
you're not doing well. I need you to go in. I'm not going in there. I'm like, please, go, please go in. Like, no, just tell me what's wrong. I'm like, I don't do urgent care. I can, but I believe you need to be seen. Let somebody put some eyes on you, get some vital signs. And so those numbers have dropped off as well. Right, because some people think that if I go to urgent care, I'm going to sit around a bunch of other people who are sick who might have COVID and it's not worth that. He or she, right. they're not that sick or I don't think they are or I can wait. It's been a big thing because I've um, other, my other friend, a good friend of mine, she was like, you know, I'm having a cough. I don't feel so good. And I was like, I think you need to be checked for COVID. She's like, no, I, you know, I'm good. Sure enough, she's like, went on, went on. And I'm like, you can't breathe. <laughs> and I can joke about it now. I'm like, where is your inhaler? And she was like, oh my gosh, I forgot. Like they're so concerned about going into the urgent care and being around other sick people. It was like, okay, let's get you going with, get your inhaler going. Let's get you with a nebulizer. She ordered, yeah, she ordered a, a nebulizer from Amazon Prime, came the next day. I was like blown away. I was blown away, Mark. She got it the next day. I was like, I didn't even know you can get that on Amazon. I guess you can get everything on Amazon. But just looking into all that's going on, I mean, Mark, you are truly like a blessing to the medical community. I, I say that with the biggest smile and the biggest like, thank you so much. But is there any parting words that you can share or words of encouragement that you can share with our rock stars who are tuned in to rock it with Dr. Tamika? Keep listening to the show. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think taking your health, it, taking the health of your child seriously is is obviously a, a parent or a caregiver's um, joy obligation, but you should also enjoy your child. Mm. Okay? You should just enjoy it. it. Your child's health is something that you care about, that you want to nurture, but you also want to be able to enjoy. It. So don't make it a task. Don't think that is something that is something insurmountable. It is something that you can do together with your child. It's not just on you, you know, and you can also make it fun. So all the things we talked about today about diet and exercise and uh, diabetes preventing it, these are things that can be done in a healthful and joyous and fun way. You just have to be a little creative and a little patient but it can be done and you don't have to do it all at once. And so once you know that, then you can take the long journey and enjoy it. I think that's important for parents to hear. I remember um, when my husband was looking at different sports for our um, oldest child to play because when he was our first, our only child at that time and he picked ice hockey because he knew nothing about it. He's like, I wanted to just let him do the sport on his own. So I can watch it and learn with him. Now we're on a different level. He's been at it for like 10 years. So now it's not like it's like, it's an it right now. But just thinking about having fun with your children. I think sometimes we were so caught up, especially now with the pandemic. It we're so like, I got to do this. I'm at home. Did you eat? Did you do your homework? Did you do all these other things? And sometimes I think we just need to stop, breathe and enjoy one another. Like, okay, when is the last time that all of you could just be at home all day, all the time? It doesn't happen. Right. Didn't have, prior to the pandemic, this was like a four stay home staycation right. at times. <laughs> it was like, you're, you're not flying anywhere. You're not going anywhere. Everything's shut down. Let's stay home. So what you said and what you shared about um, just taking the time and having fun with your children. My kids love this game. Oh my gosh. I got to ask Miles, what's the name of the game with the cards? Um, 
I can't think of the name, but it's this game where you go and you gotta, you gotta, you, it's like forever. I'm like, I, I, like I'm like, I, I, when I think about it now, I blocked it out because I don't like it. But we do it right because it brings them joy. We go bike riding. We went to the beach. We've been to the beach more this year than ever before because like beach was socially distanced nobody was around we were having a good time my kids were boogie boarding i'm like okay when did you learn how to boogie board <laughs> so having fun and just embracing these moments because tomorrow's not promised to any of us correct so i'm like if it's not promised so let's 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 have a uh let's have fun with it and i have to say like those of you who are listening to mark murphy dr mark murphy that is i have to tell you when i first met Mark as a medical student. He was, oh my God, he was, he was over, he was called my attending and he would eat so healthy. Like this, <laughs> his meals were so clean. So I'm pretty sure he's like still doing that now. And he's probably passed that on to his kids and everybody else that's around him. So he's like the epitome, has always been the epitome of health. For what the burst of bubble. <laughs> you want to burst my bubble? But tell me, what, tell me you're human now. Tell me you're human. Oh. I am semi-human. I'm almost there. <laughs> I mean, it's so um, it's so important to have. I think at this time too, during as we're just coming to what's happening, what are we doing? Is that to embrace friendships, relationships, community, because that's what's helping each of us get through to the next day. And practicing at the same time grace and gratitude, not only towards others, and I say that over and over again, not only to, towards others, but especially towards yourself, because. We're in times that none of us have ever experienced before. So just to be upbeat, uplifting, and to hear words from words like you, uh, Mark, about like, you know, enjoy this time. Enjoy your kids, regardless, right? Exactly. So like you said, tomorrow's not promised, and you try to take advantage of any situation that you're in. So this is a situation we're in now. Um, sometimes it's a tough situation. Right. Okay. And it's hard to smile and it's hard to laugh and enjoy it at that time. But right. there's always breaks. And mm -hmm. when you get those breaks, you know, use that time to rejuvenate yourself and rejuvenate the others you're with. Because you never know that one smile. When's the last time you told your kid a joke? And they looked at you and said, you're just corny. Yes. <laughs> and it makes them laugh, makes you laugh. And you're like, okay, that was actually cool. Oh my gosh, and thinking of jokes, I think about all the things that, this dang TikTok, my kids comes back with these lines coming toward me. Mom, you I'm, you must be tired because you're running through my mind. I'm like, what, 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 like, where, where do you get this stuff from? It's like TikTok. I'm like, you know, I don't know about this TikTok. I'm like, so forth. So I just think um, overall, Mark, I have to say from the depths of my heart, thank you so much for joining me here on Rocket with Dr. Tamika on Dash Radio. You have been a pure joy. Well, Dr. Tamika, thank you very much for the invitation. I've never seen you in this venue <laughs> before. I have to admit, this is your calling. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm glad I could help. And, uh, you know, I hope it blows up. <laughs> I um, Oh my gosh, thank you so much, my rock stars who were tuned in to Rocket with Dr. Tamika. Stay tuned. We are doing big things in March. We are doing March Men's Health Madness. Make sure you stay tuned, be aware, share, comment, let us know what you need, what you're missing, and definitely give us a thumbs up. And looking forward to touching base with you soon. This is Dr. Tamika saying, until next time, a healthier you 
leads to a healthier community. And thank you. You're listening to Rocket with Dr. Tamika on Dash Radio.